Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me one last time to the book of Second Peter. As you're turning there, I say one last time for we finish, Lord willing, this day our series through First and Second Peter. We find ourselves in chapter 3, verse 14. So hear these final few verses of the Word of God through Peter's pen. Chapter 3, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the living God, and we say thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we pray that in the preaching of your word, the souls of your people might be convicted, exhorted, comforted, and perhaps, if your will would allow, regenerated this day. Guide us in the truths of your inerrant, infallible word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of events in life where it could be said that if you know something in advance, the course of what you do moment by moment is utterly changed. If you are able to know certain things beforehand, which is not regularly how we live our lives, boys and girls, we don't know much of the future. We know part of the future. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming and that he's coming soon. We know that all of his people who are his, bought by his blood, will be with him forever and ever. We know that the wicked will be judged, but this is about all that we know of the future. But Peter would have us to hear the words that because there are certain things that we know beforehand, there are ways that we can live now that will look different He says as much, doesn't he, in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand. The very last few phrases of this letter of the New Testament written by Peter says, because you know certain things in advance, there are ways to live. I want us to just briefly this morning walk through these final few verses written by Peter's pen as we close, at least for now, this letter. And by God's grace, in morning and evening worship services move to other parts of the Word of God. He begins in verse 14 with the word, therefore. We've seen this word a lot, particularly in the New Testament. Usually a writer, Paul, Peter, James, John, they will give a truth, and then they will say, therefore. Truth, doctrine, right understanding always leads to a particular kind of life. 
Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Well, what things does Peter point his readers to? What things? What things are we looking forward to? And to this, I would say it's always helpful for us to read verses in context. And most immediately, the things that we are looking forward to are the things that he's just spoken of in verses 10 through 14. Namely, that Christ is coming. That even though the false teachers who twist the scriptures say that he's not, or his delay means that perhaps we can live however we want, Peter would have us to see that he is coming and he's bringing judgment we can look forward to these things. These things are true. But secondly, verses 10 through 14, as we saw last week, also points us to the reality that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That this world will be transformed and renewed. And that by the word of Christ, the heavens will be remade. That all the evil and sin of this world will be done away with. We are looking forward to these things. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just growing older. But in these last few months in particular, every time I hear a news report, see it on social media, see it on the TV screen or on my computer, I think to myself, what is becoming of this world? And yet this has been the, the case ever since the fall that the world is under a curse, that human sinfulness is multiplying, that the living God has kept the world from being as sinful as it could be by his common grace and his saving grace of the believers. But the promise is that this world will be renewed, not just the ground that we walk on, but that every single heart and soul of every single person who will place his or her feet on the ground of the new earth will be without sin. We look forward to these things. So he says, therefore, beloved, as you are looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Truth points us to gospel call and gospel living. What does it mean then to be diligent to be found by him in peace. This phrase, in peace, is used in a variety of ways in the Scripture. Is this the idea in the Old Testament of shalom? The idea of the absence of conflict, wholeness, health? Is this the idea of Romans chapter 5? That because we have been justified, we have peace with God. John Gill, the Baptist theologian of the 1700s, gives a couple of options to this phrase. He says this, quote, in peace, interested in that peace Christ has made by the blood of his cross. For such as are reconciled to God by his death shall be saved by his life and live with him in the new heavens and the new earth and forever in the ultimate glory. And in enjoying that peace of conscience which he himself gives and which flows from his blood, righteousness, and atonement. So that the day of his coming by death or at judgment will not be terrifying to them. But they will look for these things with great delight and satisfaction. Or in peace one with another. For peacemakers and keepers are called the children of God. Boys and girls, didn't we just go through that in Sunday school? Blessed are the peacemakers and the Beatitudes. 
Gill continues, and so heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, or in happiness and glory expressed by peace, which is the end of the righteous man, which he enters into at death and will rest in to all eternity, end quote. Now that's a long paragraph by a brother from a bygone era. But notice all of the ways that he talks about the peace that is possible to the believer. The peace that we have with God and Christ. God is not our enemy if we are in Christ. Again, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, having been justified, we are at peace with God. But then the Spirit of God enters the heart of every believer And grows him or her through a process of sanctification. Growing in him or her the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace. Our consciences have peace. Hebrews speaks to this. And we have peace with one another. Ephesians chapter 2. The wall of division has been torn down in Christ. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. This should suggest to us that we need to consider whether we know anything of the peace of God at all. Do you know of Christ and him crucified? Do you know of the peace that Christ brings? That every human being is at war with God because of his or her sin. It's a war we will not win. But we are, as the scripture says, at enmity, at conflict with God because of our sin. And every one of us born is born in Adam, inheriting a sinful nature and sinning ourselves. And incapable, totally incapable of doing any spiritual or salvific good. But the scripture says, God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Have you been made alive? Have you been justified, declared righteous in the courtroom of God? Have your sins been atoned for such that the stench no longer rises to, as it were, the very nostrils of God, but has The final word of Christ's blood spoken over it. Do you know the work of the Spirit in your soul growing you in peace? When your conscience pricks you, do you have peace because you are able to repent of sin and go to the blood of the Lamb? Because... You are looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth and the coming of Christ who will bring judgment. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. Now, lest you think that we work for this peace, because it says be diligent. The diligence here, I think, would point to the reality that the false professors, the false teachers are twisting the scriptures. They have fallen, as it were, from their own steadfastness, verse 17. The diligence is care after one's own soul. You see, the Christian life is an interesting one in this regard. You don't need to do any work to be saved. 
And we need to be clear in our gospel presentations with individuals. The gospel is what Christ has done. It is finished. It is complete. As one pastor tweeted out this week, Christ didn't die to make people savable. He died to save people. The work of salvation, the work of bringing peace between man and God has been done. But on the other hand, as this gospel moves forward, many people will claim it without giving any diligence to their own souls. They won't ask themselves the question, am I really in Christ? Do I have peace with God? What am I resting in? Am I resting in Christ's work, his righteousness, and his blood? Am I resting in my own efforts? Am I resting in a faulty view of his word? Peter would say at the end of his letter, look, you're looking forward to these things. Therefore, be diligent to be found by him in peace. And then notice what he says next, without spot and blameless. Are you without spot and absolutely blameless? Can you say that you are without spot and absolutely blameless. When hearing that question, the next glance of your soul says it all. For some of you hear that and you begin to worry and you think, no, I have a mountain of sin. I need to do better. I really do. Others of you hear that And you are quickly grieved at the thought that you do have a mountain of spot and sin. But your first glance is to Christ. Therein demonstrating that your only hope of salvation, the thing that you are clinging to, is that if Christ doesn't clean me, I will never be clean. Listen to what the Puritan Matthew Poole in the 1600s said about this passage. He said, a thorough sanctification through faith in Christ, a being got above fleshly lusts and the pollutions of this world, and any such carriage as our hearts may reproach us for. He's saying that without spot and blameless, there's thorough sanctification through faith in Christ. Notice his words carefully. Not a thorough cleaning of ourselves but a thorough sanctification through faith in Christ. But he continues, If it be objected that such having sin still in them cannot be said to be without spot and blameless in the sight of God, it may be answered. Tell us, Poole, what is the answer? Because yes, I'm trusting in Christ, but I still have sin. Preach to my soul, Poole. Here's what he says. It may be answered that though they have sin in them, yet being through the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, justified in the sight of God and accepted in the beloved, he overlooks their infirmities and imputes no sin to them, sees no spot in them so as to condemn them for it. Does not your soul rise to its feet in praise of the God who has done this. 
Poole says it rather poetically. It may be answered that though they have sin in them, yet being through the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, justified in the sight of God and accepted in the beloved, he overlooks their infirmities and imputes no sin to them, sees no spot in them so as to condemn them for it. This is glorious truth. You can say, if you are in Christ, I am at peace with God without spot and blameless only because of Christ. We ought to glance in our souls more quickly and more readily to Christ. Now, lest we think that it is as simple as saying, well, I'm good, I have Christ. I don't need to consider any diligent inquiry into my soul. I think what we can see is that Peter is making a comparison, isn't he? Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. He has previously called the false teachers those who are spots and blemishes. There's a comparison here. There's a comparison here. He continues in verse 15. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. He's reminding us of that theme, isn't he? What did he say in verse 9 of this chapter? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We saw there that the all coming to repentance is the elect. That the Lord's long-suffering and patience with the sin of the world is, as it were, from our vantage point, a delay, not in God's timing. But it is a delay so that all who are His will find repentance. But then he says, as also our beloved brother Paul has written to you. One early church father pointed out that it's very interesting that Peter will use the words of Paul Because in some of Paul's letters, Peter is mentioned in very negative light. And here, Peter points to the Scriptures, Paul's writings. And he says, Paul has also said this. Paul has also said that the living God is not willing that any of his should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Most scholars see a clear reference to Romans chapter 2 because it's one thing to say as Paul's letters say but where in Paul's letters most scholars that I examined theologians of old and even today pointed to passages in Paul's letters like Romans chapter 2 verse 4 
where Paul writes this, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Other scholars would also point to other passages of Scripture, perhaps like Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you, need, you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but we don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. Well, some of us don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. Matthew Poole and John Gill both seem to argue that Paul wrote Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. And that this would be another example of Paul's letters. You don't need to believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews like Poole or Gill or me. But the point is, Peter is saying, look, just look to what Paul has said. You will find salvation because the living God has been patient with you. Well, we could put all of this under perhaps a first heading. Those of you that like outlines, all that we've just said could come under this phrase, resting in the gospel. Resting in the gospel. But secondly, we could see these words, trusting the scriptures. Trusting the scriptures. Paul and Peter are both writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting is, for one of the few instances in the Scriptures, you have one New Testament writer pointing to another New Testament writer, and in this instance saying what he's writing is Scripture. Notice verse 16. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also what? The rest of the scriptures. Because you know certain things beforehand, you ought to be resting diligently in the gospel, and secondly, trusting the scriptures. Now notice three particular things about this verse, verse 16. The first thing is that Peter calls Paul's writings scripture. For most of us, day to day, we don't question that. But you need to understand, brothers and sisters, that there are many who would question whether Paul's writings are actually scripture. Here, Peter says, what Paul's pen writes is spirit inspired word of God. Secondly, he also says that some of the things that Paul writes are hard to understand. You see what he says? Speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Now maybe for some of us, in just that moment, we find relief because we have been sitting in pews or chairs thinking some of the things that Paul writes are very difficult. But we don't say that. Because everyone else around us doesn't say it, and we feel like the spiritual infant in the room. We read certain things like Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, and we give it our best prayerful consideration, and we think these are hard to understand. 
if you think that Paul wrote Hebrews, you might read certain chapters and think, what is he doing with Melchizedek in chapter 7? That's kind of hard to understand. You might go over to other places in Paul's writings and you might say to yourself, how do we wrestle with this? What's Romans 7 about? Well, here you have Peter, one of the chief apostles of Christ, saying what Paul writes is Scripture, but some of the things in the Scripture are hard to understand. Perhaps there's a moment of comfort in that. But notice what Peter is not saying. He's not saying all the Scripture is hard to understand. He's not saying everything that Paul writes is hard to understand. In fact, who can know it? No, he's saying it's absolutely clear that what I'm writing and what Paul is writing is on the same sheet of music. Everyone should be able to see it, that Christ is coming and that the seeming delay of the coming of Christ is so that the elect may be brought to repentance. You see, what is not unclear in all of the Scripture is that the central person of all of the Scripture is Christ Jesus. That the central purpose of all the Scripture is to point us to Christ and to His work. That a child, unschooled, can take up in his or her hand as well as the scholar, the same passages, we'll use Paul because Peter does, of Paul, and see simple words of gospel clarity. Peter is not saying that all of the Scripture, that all of Paul's writings are difficult to understand, that there are some things, and those things, it seems, unstable and untaught people twist. That's his point in saying that Paul has written some things that are difficult to understand. Let me just give you an example. Let's take one of Paul's letters. I know we're finishing 2 Peter, but just turn with me to a couple of verses in the book of Romans. The book of Romans undoubtedly has some things that are difficult to understand. Again, Romans 9, 10, and 11. They can be understood, but they're more challenging Who is the Israel of Romans 11? Scholars of all stripes have a variety of views. But you know what is not in debate among the church of Jesus Christ? Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. You know what is not in question in Paul's writings? Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what is not in question in the writings of Paul? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin, which we've just seen everyone has, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what is not in question in the writings of Paul? Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through, through who? Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, the scripture is absolutely clear, without a doubt, what the gospel is. 
You may be here this day, you walked into church, and there's a lot about the Bible you don't understand. But in those four verses that I just read to you, hopefully it is absolutely clear that you are a sinner according to the word of God and that Christ is your only hope of salvation. But he will liberally give you his grace if you trust in him. You see, the writers during the Reformation period referred to this idea that some scripture can be challenging to understand, but that anyone can understand the basics of the scripture as something called the perspicuity of Scripture. Our confession speaks to this. Our statement of faith, the London Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 7. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. What is not in any way unclear in the Scripture, what is not in any way difficult to understand in the writings of Paul, is Christ and him crucified, and him offering to you eternal life. Peter says, some will twist the writings of Paul and the rest of the scriptures. So because you know the things that I've been telling you in this letter, Peter says beforehand, you are to rest diligently in the gospel, and you are to trust in the scriptures. I said there were three things that Peter says about the writings of Paul, he says that they're scripture. He says that they contain some things that are hard to understand. And as I've just mentioned, he also says thirdly that untaught and unstable people will twist them. Do you know that in New Testament studies for the last 30 to 40 years, one of the most contested issues among scholars has been the writings of Paul. In two main areas. Some of you are interested in the terms, so I'll mention them. The new perspective of Paul. A different understanding, in essence, that Luther and the Reformers got Paul wrong. The justification is not really about imputed forensic righteousness. You have scholars twisting the writings of Paul. You also have making inroads in some reform circles, something known as federal vision. You're in by Christ, but you stay in by your own covenantal faithfulness. Twisting the writings of Paul. In 2023, Peter says, listen, because you know these things beforehand, Rest diligently in the gospel. Are you resting in Christ? Is Christ your only hope? And are you trusting in the scriptures? The plainness of the scriptures. The clarity and perspicuity of the scriptures. Thirdly and finally as we close. Because you know these things beforehand, Peter says, be firm in grace. Notice what he says. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But, here's the opposite. 
Don't do verse 17, do verse 18. What is verse 18? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your pastor has been preaching for months in 2 Peter. What would you say? That's a lot of sermons in 2 Peter. What's What's the whole point of 2 Peter? How would you summarize what your pastor has been doing? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here endeth the lesson. Since you know beforehand, again, what things do you know beforehand? Christ is coming. Judgment is coming. Christ will remake all things. And here in verse 18 and 17, because scoffers will twist the scripture, the scoffers that we've seen for weeks and months in Second Peter, beware. Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. You've been planted by Christ, it seems. You claim his name. You're growing in his grace. There's evidence of spiritual fruit in your life. Seemingly, then, you're steadfast. Don't fall from this. Now, immediately, some of us are thinking, "Ah, but I thought Christ saved me and that he is my standing and my steadfastness is all because of him and his spirit's work in my heart. And that's all true. But all throughout the Bible, particularly the New Testament, God, in his precious mercy, gives us ready calls not to walk away from Christ. And he does that as a means among many to help us to persevere. One of the ways that God keeps you in the faith Not the only way, but one of the ways, outwardly, is to tell you, don't walk away from the faith. One of the ways that your father parents you is to tell you in advance, there's danger over there. Don't go over there. Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then says, because you know all of this, don't follow them. You grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How will you fall away from steadfastness? Verse 17 tells you, by being led away with the error of the wicked. He then finishes, doesn't he, with a doxology Speaking of Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Boys and girls, the word amen means it is true. It means yes. It means may it be. Many of the gospel writers, or the writers of the New Testament letters, rather, use this word at the very end. Amen. Let this be, O Lord. May Christ receive glory both now and forever as his people stay steadfast in his grace by not following the error of the scoffing and wicked who twist the scriptures. The way that they twist them is what? They deny that Christ is coming. They deny that there is a call on our lives to holy living. Peter's three-chapter letter is a gift of God because it tells us, among other things, while you wait... Be diligent to rest in the gospel. While you wait, trust, don't twist the scriptures. 
and while you wait, grow firm in grace. Have you ever thought about that? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be better, Peter, to say, grow in law? Grow in the things that you are to do. Has it ever struck you that you are saved by grace and you grow in grace? That one of the chief ways that you grow in holiness is by the grace of God? The gospel is not only the entrance into the kingdom of God, it is our total and complete standing. 1 Peter and 2 Peter become, for the child of God, two letters wherein the lives of believers are painstakingly examined, all with a view that Christ is everything. Don't leave him. Don't forsake him. Don't twist his words. But look to the sky, for he's coming And not only will you be vindicated for the faith that you are walking by when the world says, don't you have any sight? Where is your Savior? You just keep looking to Christ. You will be vindicated on that day. Your soul will be enraptured with the glory of Christ for the very first time. If you don't die first, for the very first time when Christ comes, your soul, as it were, will breathe without the weight of sin. There will be no temptation. There will be no thought that you need anything in the created order above Christ. And all the wicked of this world will be crushed. First and second Peter are cosmic letters to the Christian. Because everything is about to be changed in an instant. And so because you know this beforehand, act accordingly. By his grace, his unmerited favor over you in Christ. Let's pray. Living God, help your saints. We are needy. We need letters like this. For we are so frequently tempted to look outside the truth of your word for hope for tomorrow. Some of us may be tempted to twist, to question the truth, the trustworthiness of your word. Help us. Some of us may be tempted to think it doesn't matter how we live now. Help us. Call us to repentance. Grant us comfort. Exhort our weak faith. We thank you for the pen of Peter writing under the inspiration of the precious Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.